Thank you, Blake, and our praise team. Beautiful songs, all of which, or at least most of which, dealt with faith, which is going to be uh, what we're going to be looking at today. Uh, Once again, it's cold. Uh, I want to ask all of you to be careful over the next several days. I think the first day above freezing is Thursday, and then we're right back into the deep freeze for next weekend. Current temperature outside, 21 degrees. So it is cold. So be real careful. Again, the 5 o'clock service that normally small group that meets here in the auditorium will not meet today. If you know someone who's not here that typically comes to that, please let them know about that. And let me also encourage you, uh, if you can stay for Sunday school today, we would love for you to stay. We have classes for all ages. Uh, Adult classes are in the annex, uh, over in the community room here in the auditorium is Rodney and Stan, and then I'm teaching a class in 201, uh, which is outside upstairs, uh, and we would love for you to stay and to be a part of one of those classes. Journey life. Again, today we've got uh, a session of Discover Henderson Field, which is about whether or not you want to join the journey here uh, at Hendersonville. Now, last week we began looking at a man who God first invited to journey with him by the name of Abraham. And and God came to Abraham and said, here's what I want you to do. And I love the way the Hebrew writer says it. By faith, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Can I ask you a question? When you obeyed the gospel, did you know where you were going? I mean, have you ever thought about that? I mean, when you you said yes to Jesus, did you think, wonder where this journey is going to lead me? You know, when I was 12 years old, that's when I first wanted to preach. I remember coming home from church in uh, Frankfort, Kentucky. We had moved up there. My dad worked for Genesco, and they had moved us up there as a family, and and I remember coming in going, I want to be a preacher. And uh, I want to go to Freed Hardman and I want to study to be a preacher. And, and uh, when I asked June if she would go out with me on my first date, you know, there are certain things that you don't talk about on your first date. For instance, how many children you want to have. You don't do that on the first date. But June, I knew she was going to Freed Hardman. I was going to Freed Hardman. As we began to talk, she said, you know, I always thought I would marry a preacher. And I went, yes, yes, because that not everybody grows up, you know, every girl thinking, I think I'll, I'll marry a preacher. But June said yes. And we didn't know where that journey would lead us. I remember yesterday we were talking and she said, you know, when we got married, one of, one of June's requests was, can you not move from church to church to church Can you just kind of settle down somewhere and our kids go to the same school and have the same friends and graduate? And and we were able to move to Nashville, and and we did exactly that. And uh, and even when I did change churches, we didn't have to move. Wasn't that awesome? I mean, everybody's like, wait a minute, you're, you're switching churches? Yeah, where are you moving to? Not moving. I'm just driving an extra mile. You know, I mean, it just I just turned a different direction. You never know where God's going to lead you. Abraham didn't. Abraham had started in Ur of the Chaldeans. 
And, uh, and God said, okay, I want you to leave. I want you to leave. I want you to leave your, 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 your country. I want you to leave the people. I want you to leave your family. Well, where am I going? I'm not going to tell you. Uh, you'll know when you get there. And that's what happens. And, of course, God made a promise and, and a covenant, made a covenant with Abraham. Now, I want you to focus on the word covenant up there because that's going to be very important today. We don't, we don't have a lot of covenants. We have a lot of contracts. I mean, we're all the time entering into contracts. You buy a house, what do you do? You enter into a contract. You buy a car, if you're going to finance it, you enter into a contract. You're in a business and, and you get another business to work with you. You, you. you make a contract that you sign. I mean, we all know about contracts. But contracts are very different from covenant. Covenants are what we do when we get married. Now, I'm not sure everybody understands that. But you know, the old traditional vows, when you get married, do you take this person whose hands you now hold to be your lawfully wedded husband or wife? And then you say, for better and for worse. Enrich, you know, for richer or for poor. June's still waiting for the richer part. But anyway, for poor. You know, in sickness and in health. Until death do you part. That's a covenant. And by the way, covenants are not like contracts in that you do your part and I'll do my part. In covenants sometimes, we do all the parts. I mean, we end up having to do everything. You know, if you get sick right after you get married, you hope your spouse is not going to say, oh, you're sick, I'm not going to be married to a sick person. You hope they'll be faithful to their vows in sickness and in health. I remember one time doing some marriage counseling with a couple, and, and Brian uh, Shepard, you'll appreciate this. Uh, they were sitting there talking to me, or he was sitting there talking to me, and he said, listen, I'll be glad to do everything possible. I'll give 100% to this marriage as long as my wife meets me halfway. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, you're only willing to give 50% if she's got to meet you halfway. You see, sometimes we have to go way beyond halfway because of the covenants we entered into. And, and we serve a God who not only goes far more than halfway, he's willing to go all the way. And that's what he does with, with Abram. The text today is one of those texts that if you're doing your daily Bible reading, you're going to read right over it, and you're not going to realize what's going on there and how much it applies to you and to me. I needed today's lesson. I'm just here to tell you. As I was preparing, and I'm like, wow, do I need this lesson. God makes a promise. Here's the covenant he entered into with Abram. I will, first of all, make you into a great nation. And he did. I mean, under Solomon, Israel was the greatest nation in the world of that day. He says, not only that, but I'm going to bless you. And boy, did he bless him. Here's 2,000, excuse me, 4,000 years later. And we're still talking about a man named Abraham. And I'm going to make your name great. I mean, Abraham. I mean, you can ask people, you know, do you know who Abraham is? And even people who may not know anything about the Bible will say, yeah, I think he has something to do with either Judaism or Christianity or Islam, which, by the way, all three religions all go back to Abram. And then he said to him, and you be a blessing. Because I blessed you, you be a blessing. And then here's the verse I want you to look at. Because I think we miss it oftentimes. He says, and I'm going to bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. Now this is a covenant, not a contract. God says, I'm going to do this. 
regardless of what you do, I'm going to do this. And you go, really? Yeah. In a moment, you'll see how. It's God's way of saying to us, I've got your back. Have you ever, have you ever been in a job and you're going through some difficulties and then you know someone who's very influential in that particular job uh, or, or business, they come up to you and they say, listen, don't worry about it, I've got your back. Boy, it makes a difference. Do you remember when you was a little kid? I don't know if you're the oldest in your family. I was the second. Uh, my older brother Rex was five years older than me. And I remember getting on the school bus, going to school. We always rode school bus when I was a kid, you know, to school and back from school. But one of the things I loved about going to school is I didn't have to worry about getting beat up on the bus. And the reason is because my big brother was on the bus. I mean, if anybody started picking on me, he would walk up, and that was the end of the picking. Unless the person picking on me had a bigger brother than my brother. But anyway, that's beside the point. You know, I've got your back. God says that to us. And then, of course, all peoples on earth would be blessed, which is why we're here today. And by the way, notice the language there. All peoples on earth. I don't know if you've done your genealogy. I'm a genealogist. I've, I've sent in my spit to everybody who will take it. I mean, here you go. And, and they send me back reports, and they go, okay, you're 70 or 60% English. You're, you know, 20% Scottish, 5% Irish. You got a little Swedish. You got some German. You got a little bit of French. And then somehow I get some North African in there somehow. I hadn't figured that part out yet. But, you know, you just get these genealogies. I'm one half of 1% Native American. One half of 1%. Which means that somewhere way back yonder, I had someone who was Native American, which I think, you know, I keep applying for minority scholarships, but one half of 1% won't get it, okay? But, you know, if we all did our genealogies, you know what we'd represent? Probably all the nations of the world. I mean, we got people here who come from everywhere, and if you trace back very far, your families came from everywhere. And here we are blessed by Abraham. So Abraham leaves Ur of the Chaldeans. He goes up to Haran. He stays there until his father Terah dies. And then he heads down into Canaan. And what I love about when he heads down into Canaan is he, he, he begins to build this relationship with God. You've got about three or four verses of where you quickly see Abram as he's just beginning this journey of faith. And you need to understand that. He's just beginning. And God knows that. And so he goes down, travels the land as far as the side of the great tree of Moray at Shechem. Now, now, you may read that and go, okay, I don't have a clue what that means. Shechem is where Jesus met the woman at the well in John chapter 4, okay? It was in Jesus' day, it was in Samaria, between Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, the Mount of Blessing and the Mount of Curses, which is interesting with Abraham being told, I'm going to bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And so he goes down just due north of Jerusalem, basically, and the Canaanites are in the land at the time. And I want you to notice, the Lord appeared to him. Now, how? We don't know. In a burning bush? Maybe. In a cloud? Possibly. In the form of a human being? Could have been. Later on, he does that. We don't know how he appears to Abram. But he does and says, to your offspring, I'm going to give this land. What you see is going to be your offsprings. And notice what Abram does. He builds an altar there to the God who had appeared to him. He then travels, and, and here's the text there, he then travels a little bit further south to Bethel, and he pitches his tent between Bethel and Ai. 
and I hope I'm pronouncing that Rodney. It's either A-I or I. I hear it pronounced both ways. And notice there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. And I know that, I love that language. God had appeared to him and talked to him and now he's talking to God and the conversation is going both ways. And that's what, I mean, when you journey with someone, yes, one person may do a lot of the talking, but eventually it's got to go both ways. And Abraham begins to do that. And then notice verse 9, then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. And Negev is, is a part of Canaan that we, we don't know what it looked like 4,000 years ago. Okay, you need to understand that. I promise you that Hendersonville, Tennessee didn't look like this 250 years ago. In fact, Doc Shannon will tell you Hendersonville didn't look like this 50 years ago, right, Doc? I mean, Hendersonville has changed dramatically in a short period of time. We as human beings can do that. But here's a picture of the Negev. It's southern part of what is Israel, and it's basically just kind of scrub land. You see a few plants grow there, mostly desert. And so he travels down there. Was it, was it better at that time? Possibly. That may be why he went down there, is there were more green grass than what we see here. But what we notice is immediately what happens. Now there was a famine in the land. All right, what's going on? You, you, you can count that God is involved in this. It's time for Abram to do something. It's time for him to enter the school of faith. Okay? God's fixing a testing. And, and if you remember back whether it was high school or whether or not it was college, how oftentimes did you have that first major exam? And, uh, and boy, it's one you always dread because you've never taken a test under that teacher. How is he going to test? How is she going to test? I mean, how difficult is it going to be? Did I study enough? I mean, there's a lot of anxiety that goes into this. And so you have the first major exam. And question number one on this test for Abram. And by the way, I want to say something about tests. Tests are not about impressing the teacher. Now, the teacher's got to give you a grade. I understand that. But test is about you. I mean, you take a test to dis discover how much you have learned. I didn't know that when I was in college. I was one of these guys that I wanted, oh, I wanted straight A's so bad. And, uh, and, and when I was in high school in, in Mississippi, I was a straight A student. I mean, straight A's. And I went to Freed Hardeman, and my first year I was a straight B student. And I couldn't figure out what happened. And my dad said, you crossed the state line. <laughs> that happens, I'm telling you. I mean, I've known of people who are like, I graduated valedictorian of my high school, and now I'm making D's. What happened? I said, look at your high school. I mean, sometimes it's where you come from. But I remember one time taking a, 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 a test under a teacher at Freed. It was a Bible test. It was on Paul's epistles. And, and I needed a certain grade to get an A in that class. And the teacher was Dr. Dow Flat. His A's were 96 to 100. 96 to 100. Everybody else was like 93 to 100, 90 to, not his, 96 to 100. I got through with the final exam. I went up front. I said, Dr. Flat, can you tell me, did I get an A? He graded it. He compared it. He said, you ended up with a 95.75 average. And I say, is that an A? And he said, what's an A in here? 
And I said, 96 and above? He said, it's 95.75, 96 and above? And I said, no. He said, you got to be. I walked out and cried. I'm serious as a heart. I cried. I told Dow Flat about that years later. I said, you're the only teacher that ever made me cry. And he just laughed and laughed and laughed and laughed. He thought that was the funniest thing in the world. He simply told me that you didn't study enough. How will you respond to this sudden famine, Abram? By the way, you can take away famine and you can put in anything you want to put in right now. How are you going to deal with this sudden job loss? Transfer, family difficulty, doctor's news. We all get them. And when that happens, I wish we'd just pause for a moment and go, okay, God, what's going on? What are you testing me about? With Abram, it was a test that had to do is, are you going to go back to what you used to do, build an altar and call on the name of the Lord? Is that what you're going to do? Unfortunately, it's not what Abram did. I mean, Abram did right the opposite of that. Notice, now there was a famine in the land, and so he paused and he built an altar and he called on the name of the Lord. No, that's not what the text says. He did the same thing everybody else back then would do. There's always food down in Egypt. Egypt's on the Nile. It's, it's, it's very, very consistent in producing crops. He had known that because even though he, he was raised in Ur of the Chaldeans, everybody had heard of Egypt. Prosperous Egypt. And so he joins with everybody else and he goes down to Egypt because the famine was so severe. As he went about to enter, or as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. Now, they're, they're up in their 70s, okay, 60s and 70s. And you're like, beautiful? You've got to realize they lived way up until they're, you know, way past 100. And so it would be like someone today, maybe in their late 30s or early 40s. And he says, I know what a beautiful woman you are. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but then let you live. Then they will kill me, but then let you live. That's verse 12. Y'all remember verse 2? Ten verses earlier? And I will make you into a great nation. Both of those can't be true. Because Abram had no children at this time. So either God is faithful, and Abram is confused and lost, or Abram is faithful and God doesn't know what he's talking about. I'll let you choose which one you think's right. And so question number two, will you trust God's promises or you try to deal with it your own way? And by the way, this is not just about Abram, this is about all of us. Am I going to pause and pray and seek God's will for whatever is in my life or am I just going to try to figure it out on my own? And if you're like me, when I try to figure it out on my own, I don't do a good job. But here's what Abram did. Say you are my sister so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. Now, that's a half-truth because Sarai was his half-sister. But y'all, when you tell a half-truth and you intend to deceive, that's a lie. That's all it is. It is a lie. Abram lied. And by the way, Sarah is going to lie as well. She's going to join in the lie. Why? Because they failed the first question. 
Are you going to trust God or not? And they didn't. And so now they're trying to fix it themselves. And so when they went to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. New member of the harem. Now, if you let that sink in for a moment, I mean, you're going to like, okay. And that leads us to question three. Will you allow your wife to be violated to save your own skin? I mean, how many of you would die for your wife? Abram wouldn't. I mean, that's obvious. Not only is his covenant with Sarai messed up, his covenant with God is messed up, right? And again, this is a test. Not God already knows this about Abram. But he's trying to point it out to Abram. Abram is the one who needs to see the cracks in the foundation. And then look what Pharaoh does as a result of this. Pharaoh says, guess what? I've got you some sheep and cattle and male and female donkeys and male and female servants and camels. And all at once, Abram's like, okay. I mean, I may have lost my wife, but boy, look what I gained. I don't know how many of you wives out there, what you would think of your husband trading you for a bunch of donkeys, right? I'm pretty sure June Chapman wouldn't like it. And, and I'd hear about it. But it's not just that June Chapman wouldn't like it. God didn't like it. And this is what I love. The very next verse, but the Lord. And, and, and all you got to do is pause for a moment and see what's going on. Here's Abram. And what's Abram doing? Abram is being unfaithful. Abram's messing up. Abram's failing. Sounds like me a lot of times. And I don't know if you ever feel that way, but boy, I mean, when it comes to measuring up to, you know, what God has called me to be, I never get there. And Abram wasn't there as well. But that didn't shock God. Because what you see happen next is what is astonishing. But the Lord inflicted serious disease on Pharaoh. Wait, wait, wait a minute, on Pharaoh? I mean, isn't the one lying Abram? Yes. And so why is he afflicting Pharaoh in his house? And obviously Pharaoh's sitting here looking at the situation. Everybody in the family comes down with COVID except Sarai. And of course he's like, well, how come she doesn't have it? And he adds one and one and gets two and he goes, something's wrong here. And Sarah says, yeah, I'm actually not just his sister, but I'm also his wife. And all at once, Abram is remembering a promise God made to him. Whoever curses you, I'm going to curse. Yeah, but I brought it on myself. I don't care. I told you that if they curse you, I'm going to curse them. And so God curses not Abram, who he has blessed and who's lying, but he curses the one who steps in innocent. And by the way, this wasn't the last time that Abram did this. You, you turn over to chapter 20, he goes back to Canaan's land with all of these sheep and cattle and camels and servants and his wife who had not been violated because God steps in and he does it again. He gets there and a king by the name of Abimelech sees Sarah, takes her in. Abram's like, she's my sister. 
And then he goes to sleep after bringing him, her into his house. And God came to Abimelech in a dream. And notice what he says to him. You're as good as dead. You're a dead man. Because of the woman you've taken, she is a married woman. And I love the conversation between Abimelech and God. Wait a minute, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And didn't she say, he is my brother? Abram and Sarah both lied. I've done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. And watch what God says. I've kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. I mean, you've got to wonder what was going on. She comes in. He thinks she's beautiful. She's going to be his next wife. And then all at once some complications come up. And they can't consummate the relationship. And then while he's dreaming, God says, that's why I kept you away from her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet. He's a lying prophet. She's a lying prophet's wife. I mean, are you serious? Who wants a lying prophet? You've got a sinful preacher. This church has sinful elders. You've got sinful Bible teachers in your Bible classes that are teaching your children. You see, one of the things we need to realize is that we're all Abraham, all of us. I'm not perfect. If you think I am, I've misled you, and I apologize. There are times my faith is weak, and God knows it. God's always known. Sometimes your faith is weak, right? Can you admit it? And here's what you need to know. God has always known it. And God's not there to say, oh, you just failed the exam. God is there to say, even though you failed the exam, guess what? I'm still the God who you serve. I mean, yes, I'm a sinner. I'm still a preacher. We got ministerial staff here. They're sinners, but they're still ministerial staff. Elders, deacons, Bible school teachers, all of us. God says, I can only call sinners. That's all there is. And he's a prophet and he'll pray for you. Isn't that amazing that the one who caused it is the one who's doing the praying in order to save Abimelech and his household? And so question number four. How committed is God to his unconditional promises? And that answer is 100%. God doesn't say, I'll do everything I can as long as you meet me halfway. That's not what God says. God says, I'll be there when you lie. I'll be there when you cheat. I'll be there when you fall. I'll be there to pick you up. I'm going to pick you up as long as you keep trying to follow me. And so what will you do this week when you're tested? Because all of us will be. We'll be tested probably this afternoon. I know we'll be tested tomorrow. You're going to be tested this week. Number one, will you recognize the text and seek God's will? Will you pause and go, okay, it's time to pray. It's time to ask God, what is going on? What do I need to do? Number two, will you trust God's promises or will you try to deal with it your own way? I have found every time I try to deal with it my own way, it just gets more messed up than it was beforehand. And number three, if you fail, 
Will you trust God's faithfulness and forgiveness? You do that. Because you're going to fail. You go over to 1 John, and John begins his little epistle of 1 John with a statement that we all know is true. He said, if any man claims to not sin, he is a liar, and the truth is not in him. However, if you walk in the light, as he is in the light, now, let me say something about that. Walking in the light doesn't mean you're perfect. That's not what walking in the light is. Walking in the light, do you know where the light comes from? It comes from God. God is light. God is the one who shines and, and lights up the path. And so he says, if you walk in the light, as he is in the light, then the blood of Jesus is constantly, the Greek there is constantly cleansing you. Why? Because you're going to fall. I don't care how good you are. You're going to stumble. You're going to mess up. You're going to, you're going to sin. You're going to, you're going to turn around and do things that everybody around you is going, I never thought they would do that. I mean, do we really think that Abram would be a ball-faced liar like he was? God knew it. God chose him anyway. And God walked with him anyway. And God kept transforming him into the man he would, and we will see here in a couple of weeks what he became. But he wasn't there yet. And so we walk in the light. Constantly falling, constantly messing up, constantly being forgiven and reminded that, listen, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. I love this passage. It's from The Voice, 1 John 3, verse 20. Whenever our hearts make us feel guilty and remind us of our failures. I don't know about you, but my heart does that quite often. I never can live up to it. We know that God is much greater and more merciful than our conscience. And he knows everything there is to know about us. You see, the truth is God wants us saved far more than we want to be saved. He loves us far more than we will ever love him. And like Abraham, he is faithful to his promises. Now, is there a point that you can cross where there is, is probably no return? Yeah, if you say to God, you know what? I don't want to be your child anymore. I don't want to walk with you anymore. I don't want anything to do with this covenant anymore. God, I am out of here. God will f let you operate free will and leave. But as long as you say to him, I'm in it for the long haul. God's in it for the long haul with us. And he's there to lift us up and forgive us. And he's there to put us back on the right track and to continue working in our life through the power of his spirit, through the influence of Jesus Christ. That's the hope we have. And I'm glad Abram experienced it because I needed to know it as well. If today you've been wondering, man, I just never have lived up. Maybe it's time for you to recognize that God is greater than your heart. And maybe it's time for you to do a little forgiveness of yourself. I mean, maybe that's where it begins. We have elders who will be around. I'll be down front. Well, if we can help you, we can pray with you. If you want to begin the journey, you can do that today, right now. As together we stand and sing.